Welcome to the Kamuzi Next Billion Users podcast. Good afternoon, Konnichiwa, Ola. I'm with the wonderful Savina from Identity 2.0. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good. Excited to be here. How's your day been, even though I've asked you already? That's okay. It's been a lovely day. This lovely has been day. like London, sunny, right. feels like spring has started. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's been a really nice day. It's definitely started because my nose is sweating. Oh. It's like genetic. So once I get out of the shower, my nose will have like... It's like how you begin the day. You don't need the weather forecast. You don't need the weather app. You're like, the nose is tingling. Yeah, it's literally tingling. Like, even when it's cold. It's begun. It's begun. Yeah. At least I know that I'm alive and my internal bodily functions are working efficiently. Yeah. Yeah, They're functioning. Yeah. So, Savina, what we're going to do is we're going to get the community community to know a bit more about you or us. And so we're going to play a game called... Two truths, one lie. I didn't put that in the email. Okay, I was okay. like, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to tell you. So we're both going to make three statements and it's up to the other person to guess what the truths are and what the lie is. Okay. Would you like to go first? Or if you don't agree, we can do rock, paper, scissors and whoever loses has to go first. I'm happy to go first. You're happy to go first? Yeah. All right, cool. One, I have... What have I done? Have I done anything? Big question. That sounds like a truth, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go. <laughs> uh, first one, I have. I was once in a Bhangra team, and we danced competitively before. Right. Um, I am ambidextrous, so I can use both my left and right hand when writing. Wow, you're proper looking at me seriously. Um, I take this seriously. Um, and in my spare time, I like to do embroidery and embroidery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. I believe that you were in a class mm-hmm. and that you were competitive. And I, I don't believe you do embroidery. That was the truth. Oh my gosh. I'm not ambidextrous. I wish I was. So you can't use your left and your right? No, I'm just right-handed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I should have known. Do you know I should have known? Because you kind of made this like, you meant like a facial expression for like a minute <laughs> second. And I'm thinking, I don't know if she's being serious or if she's telling the truth. Yeah. <sighs> okay, I got it wrong. It's okay. Okay, okay let me say my, my okay, yeah, truth. Okay, let's go. Um, I went to boarding school in Nigeria for three years. Um, I like to eat dates. And when I was younger, I sold hair extensions, like Brazilian hair, Indian hair, Peruvian hair, Mongolian hair, and we'd dye wigs sometimes as well. So those are my three statements. The middle one's so just boring. <laughs> it feels like a letdown. So what do you think the middle one's a lie? I feel like there's something there's like more story to the other ones. I want the other ones to be true because I don't know. You want the other so you don't want me to like dates. dates. Yeah. I'm gonna You're go right. <laughs> oh. You got it right. I did. Were you expecting that? No, I thought I'd get it right. Uh, this is the community podcast, so <laughs> I, I thought that um, I'd get it right, but it is what it is. It is. We yeah. move. What would you describe yourself as? And, and the, the reason I ask that is, I know you're a founder, you're also a social media producer, you're also a great marketer, um, and I assume that you are great at storytelling. So are you just like a great Savino of all trades or do you describe yourself as multidisciplinary, however you pronounce that word, or do you describe yourself as a particular term? I like the great Savina. I can just the, stop the great the sen- Savina. Yeah, great. just stop. I, I, stop the sentence okay. there. The what? The great Savina or the great? The great Savina. The great Savina. Yeah, that works. Okay. Um, no, I um, I think when I try to talk about what I do, I think a creative communicator probably best sums up what 
I do and how I approach my work. That's wavy. Thanks. That is wavy. I don't think I came up with it, but I can't remember who did. So. A create a create a creative storyteller. Creative storyteller, creative yeah. Storyteller. Do you prefer, for the purposes of this podcast, a creative storyteller or the great Savina? <laughs> <laughs> They're both so compelling. Yeah. Um, I think creative, creative storyteller. Creative good. storyteller. Yeah. Okay. So I'm. I wanted to ask about identity 2.0 but before i ask you about that i was on your website and i realized (laughs) that on your bio you said your mum said that (laughs) you are a nice girl (laughs) but could be tidier (laughs) what does that mean i think i know what your uncle okay ask your uncle um that is a genuine quote from my mum shout out to um She's just she's she's an amazing woman and she's amazingly tidy and okay. I have inherited some of her great traits. Right. That is the just great Savina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't I haven't uh you know, that one hasn't passed on as strongly to me. Right. I'm not messy, just not as tidy as she'd want me to be. Fair play. My mom's so tidy that if I'm in the kitchen and I'm cooking something mm-hmm. Before I've even finished cooking, she's, she's already started moving things and putting them into the sink or putting them away. Wow. And I'm like, where's this? I still need it for step seven. And she's like, "Wow." well, you're going to have to wash up and use it. So I used to work in Tesco and they used to call that um, clean as you go because I used to work in the hot deli <laughs> section. So I'd be the guy making oh, okay. the wings. Cause you know, the, I don't know if they still do it in the Tesco metros, but they used to do like wings and like cheese a, and onion pies. Mm. Yeah, I used to be the guys that would all of that and he used to say clean as you go so when you put the wings on a tray once you've packed the wings into the bags ready to go for the shop you need to put the the wings inside yes the the wing tray inside (laughs) the sink (laughs) (laughs) because you're supposed to clean yeah as you go clean as you go um talk to me about identity 2.0 the wonderful organization Um, that you started well, that I co-founded. That you co-founded. Um, shout out to yes, my co-founder. Because you need to be equitable. Arda Always. Yes. yes. Um, professional partner and professional love of my life. Shout um, out to Arda. Yeah. Your professional partner. Um, professional wifey. Yeah. So, yeah, Identity 2.0 is a creative studio. We work at the intersection of digital rights, identity and technology. Yes. Um, we started around, well, we had the idea in 2018 did our first sort of launch into the world late 2018 and then first pop-up in 2019. Um, and then, yeah, we've been going ever since, just making stuff that explores this weird and complicated relationship we have with technology, mm. trying to make it a bit better. That makes sense. I like the fact that you blocked your faces on the site. Um, and I like the name, and I initially thought that the name was a pun. Because oh. I thought I heard someone describe it as identity 20. And so in my head, I was like, hold on, what does this mean? Does this mean the new digital identity that we could have in 2020? Or does it mean the new digital identity that we could have in the 2020s? Oh. Or it be an identity 2.0, could it be the, I guess, second form of our digital identities that could be a bit more equitable or ethical oh i like the last one yeah yeah so i think when we (laughs) me and ada uh have a lot of fun when we name things because we just have to set aside a time and say we are not leaving this meeting until this thing is named because it find it i find it quite difficult naming something you get like a board out and then like scribble names get everything out like i one of our exhibitions um we had to name it when we were working remotely over zoom and i've got the back of an envelope where i wrote down all my ideas and that is where it came up from do you still have Um, that envelope still got the envelope for the exhibition this machine is black that's how that name came from um but identity 2.0 the name for that we were thinking about um there's when you're interacting online i feel like it's part of you but also it's it's monitored and it's trapped yeah. and it's labeled in so many different ways it's almost like an extension part of you but it's it's right. a weird cyclical process where that informs who you are and you inform what it is right. so that's where identity 2.0 sort of came from that's a very smart 
name. It's very, very Thank intellectual. You. How would you describe the journey of running your own company or business Ooh. or organization? <laughs> yeah, the journey for Identity 2.0 um, has not been plain sailing. Mm. Um, but I don't think anything worthwhile is. Um, and so we've definitely learned a lot on the way and still are learning continuously. Right. Um, we are constantly trying to push ourselves and trying trying new things and mm -hmm. that is why it's still exciting that's why we're still going right um but i do have to say i definitely could never have started this by myself like mm -hmm. definitely arda pushes me to be a better co-founder better kind of business leader in a sense in terms of shaping what we do and and creatively as well we push one another because we kind of come from different disciplines in that right. i uh, you know, she's she's more design led. I'm kind of more copy led, but also, you know, in terms right. of our visions for what we produce, um, you know, we, we come from different research backgrounds and mm -hmm. what our interests are, and you know, places in the world that we we've lived in as well. So I think it, it's interesting that we can kind of push each other in this way, mm. but we align in terms of what our mission is. Mm. So the journey has been one of continuous learning, and we're both similar in terms of how much we've learned so far and where in our careers we are at. So we've been able to stay side by side and get right. to where we need to be, but make sure that we're doing it together. That makes um, sense. So yeah, it's it's been a it's been a journey. It still is a journey. Yeah. Um still I think just one of continual growth. Got it. As a creative communicator, what would you say is the least favorite aspect of, of running a business? Oh of running a business. Yeah. Or of running identity 2.0 if 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 you if, you know if we want to be specific <laughs> like, oh, which business um uh, least favorite part of running identity 2.0 yes that's really hard uh I, I i think it's hard to say my least favorite part because i think even the parts that might seem more tedious or boring whether that's you know budgeting and doing finances mm -hmm. the way i see it in my head is that well this is allowing me to run identity 2.0 right this is enabling me to grow it this is enabling me to pay suppliers this is enabling right. me to work with amazing artists and yeah i need to process their invoice and make sure mm -hmm. that it goes into the budget but the consequences of doing that are so great yeah um, you're right and so for me i wouldn't say like i have a least favorite part there are parts which are inevitably more pedantic because running a creative studio you get to do so many creative and exciting things yeah but I, I wouldn't say they're like they're just more pedantic and more kind of everyday right um than anything else i would i would say the one thing that we probably are trying to learn more about is what is our and you know this plays into the core of what identity 2.0 is like what's right. our public digital presence look like right um like i i'm not someone who always feels comfortable um kind of showing myself on social media and public platforms right. and things like that but our like twitters our instagrams all those kind of things is kind of morphed in a way now where it represents the company and doesn't represent the company what's it? so what's that balance what does that look like can i just like tweet all day long when I watch like um, Succession and I can right. tweet along. Can I do that? Or my audience who are potential clients and potential people I want to work with, will they look down on that? Like right. I personally, you know, what's that line and how do I manage that? It's just probably something I look upon less favorably. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. it's a tough one. It is a very tough one. How do you one. find it? I don't know, maybe my least favourite part is managing people. Um, and I, I mean, I don't do much of that now. Um, but I think last year was difficult because we had a lack of like systems and procedures. Um, and if we, if I was to do 2022 again, um, we would have hired April way earlier um, because she's amazing at HR and people and culture. And I think she would have helped us to embed a lot of that stuff at the start um but in general i enjoy it yeah. even like the little admin -y parts that i don't enjoy i think i enjoy kind of the broader aspect of running this company mm. that's going somewhere and having some sort of impact i find that like um when you're doing creative work it can feel quite 
never ending in a way, which is obviously exciting and it's expanding. So mm-hmm. when you do get kind of admin tasks which have a clear beginning end, like yeah. you know you've completed it, yeah. there is some satisfaction you can take from that. Yes. Like, do you know what Kidzania is? No. Okay, in Westfield, there's like, Kidzania is this um, franchise around the world, okay. I think, but there's one in London. Is it where they and have like kid cities? Yeah, and kids right. can pretend to be like a postman or they can pretend to right. be a teacher. And it's like mini capitalism because uh, they can, <laughs> but because they get a salary and then they go to university and get a bigger salary. I'm and literally it's all, about to say it's, it's we're preparing it's, kids yeah, for the capitalistic world. Basically, what it is. At um, least they're being honest. Yeah, I used to work a little bit with them. Okay. A, a startup that I was working at partnered with them. And so I learned a lot about their ecosystem. Okay. Um, but what I found out was that the job that was the most popular with children was the postman, postwoman, postperson job because it had a very clear end. Kids right. like the satisfaction of being like, I did my job. I did right. it. And even though it's not the most aspirational, I think there is something in us that, you know, there is some satisfaction in knowing you've done it. That makes sense. Yeah. It's and that's why true. I like doing embroidery. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine I just drop it at the end and I'm like, that was a lie. It all lied. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're funny. Um, what would you say is your favourite project? I went on the site and my favourite was the hypervisibility hyper, hyper oh. of blackness because I was actually shocked when I went through the timeline and I, sh- I saw like different points in time where I guess black people have been hypervisual and then hidden from society. Um, yeah, what would you say is your favorite project out of the ones that you've done? And you can take me through more, like, if you want. So that that project that you're noting on there yeah. was part of an exhibition we did called This Machine is Black. What's it? And that was an in-person exhibition that we was, did. Was, was in... that with MozFest or? So or MozFest, the timeline... We, the timeline, the digital timeline, we launched at MozFest. Right, got it. Um, which is, uh, yeah, I love, I love MozFest. I think they're great. Um, but the physical exhibition that was really exciting for us and that was launched in 2021 in Leicester and the timeline actually, it took up a large space. It was physically printed out onto A3s and took up like a huge corner in our entire exhibition. So people, that was the one that people looked at and consumed the most. And to be honest, it was one of the pieces that took us the longest to research and get it right as well. Um, we had a lot more we could have added to it, but it was physically the space we couldn't print out everything. So, yeah, the digitalization of that was because we had people come up to us and saying, I want to use this in a classroom or is this a right. resource you can share? And we realized, you know, it was just us and, you know, hired help who was able to bring in the research together. We can't do everything ourselves. We have yeah. a Western perspective. Like what, there must be other examples we can include in this. So mm. the purpose of digitizing it was just to, you know, we did the research, let's just share it. Yeah. Um, so that had such a great response. Um, and that exhibition was really fun to put together. Mm. Um, we explored Afrofuturism. Um, we explored the ideas of abolition within the tech industry. Okay. And then we also looked at fake. Um, we also looked at deep fakes, which is a spin on the kind of definition of deep fakes. Because yeah. you think of technology and you think of race and you think of them as kind of pre-existing things that exist in society. Like they are a given. Mm-hmm. You don't really we we don't really use words around it to like denote that it's man-made. These yes, are structures. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And so deep fakes, in a way are presented to be truthful and accurate right. and real when exact when when in reality they're built and they're created by us. So in that a way technology and race are deep fakes because right. they are constructed by us. So you know, we hadn't had a theme like played on that and explored that a little bit. Mm. And that was fun. That's sick. Thank you. Cuz what I'm what I'm trying to like essentially you could argue that a lot of Technology and media is just a continuation of deep fakes in society. Yeah. Even though we refer to deep fakes as like a video, that's a modern been phenomenon as well. Misconstrued, it's misconstrued. Um, whereas we've been deep faking it for yeah. a long time. Yeah, it's just an interesting concept if you take a step back from the technology of it all. Um, favorite projects? Just Friday 2.0? 
Yeah. Yes. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I was like, oh. Don't worry, we're gonna we're gonna um, go to unfold stories. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. One of my favorite projects for Identity 2.0 was a digital exhibition that we put on called okay. Control Plus U. Um. I think I saw that. Was it the chatbot? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Yes. We've got one. I got it. Um. So you know. At the end of 2019, me and Ada really wanted to put on a physical public exhibition right. and, and start preparing at the end of 2019, um, doing some workshops with creatives and creating safe spaces to discuss issues online and kind of our relationship to it. So we got really good feedback, really good ideas, and we wanted to incorporate that into a public exhibition. What? 2020 happened, 2020 had other ideas, so, right. you know, ended up in a pandemic and the lockdown I don't know if you heard about that by the way you know it's a little pandemic a little oh what the pan pandemic yeah. I think I might have yeah yeah I think I read, read about it yeah, yeah yeah just like a little niche thing it just yeah um, it didn't really have much yeah. impact on the world just kind of it just went away yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> so um, um yeah we you know me and Ada were fortunate enough to be safe and to be healthy mm. and to work from from our respective homes and so we decided rather than you know we've done all that great work let's actually do something with it and mm -hmm. so we decided to transform it into a digital experience right and that was control plus you in which we explored the current landscape of digital privacy and kind of these weird surveillance capitalism that exists online and then looking at utopias of how you know what are some possible exit routes of this is it right. like literacy um is it around data education mm. um you know how we can play with consent online and looking at different ux patterns that we can implement with it um so yeah it was a fun little experience and we kind of threw it all together very very cheaply mm. um it was just us doing it me and her and then it kind of catapulted us up because um, right. over 3,500 people around the world saw it um yeah that's like numbers we just I never know, thought it when news. it happens and you're like oh there's there's some more um that's, that's three thousand five hundred yeah. human beings yeah heads. what were they thinking that's mad i'm not sure i'm not Probably sure either. That it, was, it was a great piece of work i mean we yeah. got some lovely feedback um and then, yeah, it was from off the back of that. Honestly, we weren't expecting it. It was just mm. like, hey, let's just have some fun. Did and you let's like just promote it, it or it was just like... Our promotion was like <laughs> like 100 Instagram followers we had. And then like it was just us emailing people. And I was like, oh, I like okay. Electronic Frontiers Foundation. Let me just email them. Right. I like Kevin Roos, who's like this New York Times journalist. Let me just send it them. Right. Because it's a free link. It took like people like 10 minutes to go through. Makes sense. It was just like, I love you, please like me. <laughs> and it was just like, genuinely just spent my evenings emailing people. Uh, and like, there was a lot of emails that went out. Okay. Like a lot. I'm not talking like okay. 10, 15. It was a big, Hundreds. big, big spreadsheet. Okay. Um, well, and that's how we got it. But that's how we got it. Yeah, we had yeah. the time and you know, that worked for us. Mm. Um, and it was just, you know, grafting away at it. Yeah. And that, that was, you know, the point where people were like, oh, can you make something like this for us? Can you come and do mm -hmm. talks for us? And I think that was the first time we really realized what the potential of, you know, oh God, do people could pay us to do things yeah. like this? Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Or people want to talk to us or people want to talk, like allow us to talk to other people about things like this. Yeah. It was really, you know, it was a really exciting time. And I'm really proud of what we were able to pull off. I'm proud of y'all. Thank you. I'm proud of y'all. There's a lot of like um, similarities in like our work. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. we we did um, I think we did we did a project with Mozfest in 2019 looking at like facial recognition mm. and it was like based on I think it was based on this like, academic paper that said um, if you wore clothing with infrared yes. you could evade um, facial recognition and so we thought all right cool GDPR's come you can opt in and opt out but you can't opt out in the real world where you're being surveilled. Um, so we just created this cap with like infrared lights um, and we presented it at the exhibition um, as a prototype, which we, I guess, describe as a prototype that's meant to provoke thought um, because, uh, you know, I, I didn't want any situations with the law creating something to evade facial recognition cameras. Um, and we've also done like quite a bit of work, I guess, looking at how we make 
data more explainable um so your work is your work is your work is sick your work is sick yeah, too not, just i know people. just proper sick people i appreciate yeah, it <laughs> if you could run a dream project like i said savina you've got a million pounds and you have like complete freedom what would you do Oh my god! Yeah, I'd, uh, do do you want me to like give you some constraints? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, hmm. Am I doing this as identity two right? Yes. Yes. So okay. I've, yeah. So um, it's creative realm. We're doing this in. It's it's a creative project. You've got a million yeah. pounds. You've got a year to do it. Um, yeah, and it's got to be centered around data, people's internet rights. Um. I have a lot of thoughts right now. And I know I'm just going to try and um, get one You can out. give me one because I know that you've got loads of ideas <laughs> and um, when you went Switzerland, <laughs> when you went Switzerland, you had but a I'm big like, ideation section. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a sick uh, idea for librarians, okay? Okay, so, so, tell, me, so um, tell me but, the Identity 2.0 and then yeah. I want to hear my, the librarian. my children's story <laughs> pitch. Okay, I'll tell you that afterwards. Uh, okay, so I think one of the most dangerous uses of technologies at the moment is around um, migrants and around refugee camps because right. they're some of the most vulnerable people who obviously are under some of the most duress. Yes. And so the idea of, you know, even informed consent of collecting their information is such a frazzled idea to begin with because how can they be when they're in, you know, such yeah. under distressful situations and so i would love to do some kind of creative installation where you're co-collaborating with people who have been through the system mm -hmm. or are unregistered migrants um and really bringing their stories to life um, right and being able to display what harm this technology could have on them if if we don't put more in place and i imagine this being um kind of a very very public installation so not tied to mm. any large installation not tie to any large institutions, kind of like a pop-up shop that makes use maybe of like empty high street shops that aren't there right. anymore. Right. And, and a very simple, because um, I often think when you're talking about technology, people expect you to use technology. Yeah. And sometimes that's not always the best method of communication. Right. Um, I think, especially when you're trying to make things more accessible, sometimes using formats that people are already comfortable with, whether that's, comic books or whether that's you know very simple language that's how we kind of lend ourselves to using more like we don't use a lot of acronyms and jargon anyway in our work but mm. i do think there's something quite nice in physical formats which can help bring an issue to light mm. um and so i would plan kind of six months of co-collaborations with working with organizations and charities uh, such as like the refugee council right. running creative workshops with these people paid participants as well yeah of course um we believe in paying people yeah we 100 yes. percent. i just yeah that's yeah. like it's ground like one rule. yes yes um uh, we, yeah and so yeah really you know they they have been through so much and but they what I find so inspiring is that they must have had the amazing imagination to want to believe in them having a better future. Right. And so the technologies which hinder them getting to this point, I think are incredibly damaging and hidden because we don't really hear from this demographic a lot. Very true. Because, you know, they're already in such a precarious place. And so giving them a platform um, in which we can highlight the dangers of these this kind of technology, I think could be amazing. And that's, that's where I think I would spend my year and my million pound. Yeah. That is phenomenal. And if that I could tour, that would be great. Because I could see that touring different um, cities. different cities in right. the UK. Um, and maybe even highlighting and doing like freedom of request and like subject access requests in those cities around what those what technologies are being used and maybe alter it in a certain way so it's kind of based on that city that it's in as well. Mm. Um but yeah, I think paid run co-creation focus groups around their views on technologies, but also their hopes for technologies. Right. You know, I'd love to hear that. I was about to I was, I was about to ask a related question about how or maybe what you envision maybe the positive impact of technology for the experience of asylum seekers could look like. Yeah, I think for this particular demographic. There's like 
organizations i think they're called chatterbox and so that's it? like language exchange and so you know peer-to-peer right. mentoring in terms of sharing languages and how we can learn from one another and, and you know provide them employment in that sense right i i think technology for this for this particularly vulnerable group can provide opportunities and basically connect people i don't think it's necessarily the place that they have to exist to solely share their story like mm-hmm. kind of even um allowing them to find opportunities to share food recipes or kind of like right. safe spaces and com- fellow communities as well is ways that you can kind of see that manifesting um mm. yeah i think there are probably more examples but they aren't coming to mind right now that makes sense yeah that makes sense you've got a lot of knowledge <laughs> in your brain <laughs> i just don't have a life <laughs> <laughs> what would you would you describe yourself as someone that works a lot no, I just read a lot. Oh, you read? Or like I I feel like I just, I like mm. learning. And I, if I could, I would just like learn for the rest of my life and do degrees and whatnot. But that's wow. funny. Yeah, I'd love to go back and do like three different disciplines, like random ones. I'd love to do like art history. Okay, I got another question. I'm loving this. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I gave you a hundred grand and I said, yeah, go and do three degrees in whatever disciplines or subject. What would you do? I'd love to do like solidify my understanding of like tech ethics. Like right. I'd love to say like I have a degree in that because mm-hmm. I think sometimes, even though I just self-proclaimingly say I read a lot and I know a yeah. lot, I think not having that qualification makes me feel like I'm not like good enough to be in the room sometimes. That even. makes sense. So I I don't know if that would just be a personal like kind of confidence booster. Yes. Um. I, I definitely, sorry to interrupt, I think mm. it would be a personal thing. Yeah. I think you have proved <laughs> that you can be in a room and that you should be in a room. Thank you. I um, love being in rooms. Yeah, rooms you should continue to be. You should continue. I think you're more than qualified and I think you, your great work has genuinely shown that you're more than qualified. But I do understand if, oh, you. You, know, if you want to go back and get the your rights degree. So I'll still approve. Okay, that's approved. Grand. Stamped. Yeah, so that's great. Stamped. Um, second one, God, I'd love to do like art history. Okay. I think that'd be so interesting. Oh, wow. When you do like an art history degree, do they focus on like particular regions of art? Do you get the freedom or is it just like, I don't know, European art? I feel like you'd probably get more and more, um, focused. Right. The further you got in your studies. Essentially a master's, you'd probably have a bit more freedom in terms of focusing what you want to explore yeah and i don't know what that would be but i find that quite interesting Mm. um i don't know then i'd probably go a bit rogue Go um, on. I'll, I'll tell you what I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of maybe studying on that. Oh, yeah, okay. Because I dropped out twice. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking of, I haven't told my parents yet. Um, And let's see if they listen to okay. this. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking they're, they're going to be so, I think they'll be so happy when they find out. Oh. Yeah. Your, your third degree. My third degree. Yes. My third degree. <laughs> Just saying. Um, the rogue one. I, I don't know if it's that rogue, actually. Um, I, uh have a weird interest in maps and how we draw borders wow like we were talking about earlier wow i'd love to learn that i'd love to learn cartography and like well geography but cartography how does that how do you do it right also like what like how to draw maps yeah what's that like the discipline of cartography would love to do a deep dive into that I think you'd be like extra, 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 extra smart if you did that. Because it sounds very technical. You'd be too smart. You'd be, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's for it, yeah. It just, I, I can't, can't draw very well. So I don't know how it would go. Trash. We both run. Be like, it's like a studios six-year-old. Studios and, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, if you see me train. The only one that you. I have... I'm so, there's certain things that I'm so bad at and Drain's one of them, football's another one. So when I used to go play football in like secondary school, I would skill myself up. There was a time when I played football in secondary school. 
and I got the ball and because like I said I'm so clumsy everyone just dropped on the ball and started laughing (laughs) (laughs) everyone literally dropped on the floor and started laughing but I think it's like a larger issue of like coordination because I'm I'm (laughs) (laughs) sorry no 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 it's funny it's funny you know I said I knew this was going to be funny um but yeah, because I'm learning how to drive now. Okay. <laughs> and I'm doing manual and the coordination. Oh like, I can't drive. Mind. I couldn't. You can't drive. No. I mean, you probably have better coordination. Because even with like, if you give me a basketball, oh, again, I will like, <laughs> I'm so clumsy. I think you'll cry laughing. Okay. <laughs> but I can run and Yay. I can swim. Okay. And I think those are the two main. Can you cycle? I can cycle, okay. yeah. Yeah, okay, I can cycle. One more. And I could do the one-handed thing, but I can't do the zero hands. You know, and they just people cycle nah, like that. No, I don't have I'm the not. capabilities. Not in London. To do that. No, no, no. I I would never do that. Yeah, no. no. Please. No. I, I don't want to die. Exactly. Yeah, we need to stay alive. Yeah. yeah. I, the only time that I am... I do Boris backing sometimes, and the only time I do it is like weekends because then it's a bit calmer. Yeah. But I would never like, oh, I'm going to cycle through Central London at 5 pm on a Tuesday. Oh, Kudos no. to all the cyclists. Yeah, shout out to cyclists. <laughs> shout out to them. But I could never. I, could I, I do it like when I know I can get from A to B yep. and it'll be, it's easy going, it's under half an hour, it's all good. But oh my God. Yeah. My hands go like. I am brown for the listeners at home, but yes. my hands go white because I'm holding onto my handlebars so oh, tightly wow. because I'm scared sometimes. Oh, wow. I'm a nervous cyclist. Wow. Do you come in contact with like large, no, come in con- that sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Have you no, made I contact you never with a third ever come kind? in contact with a vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> with a what? <laughs> with a vehicle. <laughs> Because I was like, have you come into contact? And I was like, no, you're never supposed to come into contact with a vehicle when cycling. No, you know what's scarier than the vehicles? What? It's, no, it's not a joke. <laughs> I don't want to worry. I don't know. I'm like no, setting It's because of my question. It's because I'm setting said, it up to be like a punchline. You know what's funnier than coming into contact no, with because I said, have you come in contact? And I realised how crazy. It's okay. Yeah. No, it's the electric bikes. Because they're silent, you can't hear them coming up behind you. And they're so fast. Oh, my God. I'm already a slow cyclist. Like, leave me alone. So, basically, you could be about to pedal and you, like, move slightly to the right. I could just veer and (laughs) straight past you. And the the ones on the scooters as well. Sometimes they don't wear helmets and they don't have lights. And just... It's... Oh, it's nervous. Thank you for giving me... More reason why I cycle <laughs> <laughs> on London roads. So I wanted to say a big shout out to to cyclists. Honestly, we love yeah, you. Yeah, we love you, and y'all are contributing to uh, a greener. Yeah, you're uh, honestly. If world. there was bigger cycle cycling lanes, mm-hmm. and they were, you know, then I wouldn't have to fear about all the, you know. No, you're right. I think there was a period in time where, like, we were hearing about cyclist accidents quite mm. regular. I don't know if that was 2019 or 18 um, and I was like yeah I'm not doing this cycling thing in London maybe That's in right. like the Netherlands yeah it looks quite nice there yeah it, yeah it looks I went to Rotterdam and I saw you'd see like you see like parents and they have like a bike but then they've got a seat for their kid mm. within like a little box and I thought that was really cute that's the dream yeah that would that would be really yeah. cute when yeah. you can like cycle or Mark or whatever your child's name is <laughs> we're going cycling <laughs> <laughs> and they just sit at the back yeah yeah riding. they're just chilling they're just chilling I love it this is really random but when they have the fake little driver's little wheel in their little box the so they look like they're driving and yeah. I'm like you go you go. do it God. Yeah, you're really contributing. You are, yeah, to, to a better world. You are, yeah. Shout out to them. Shout out to them. <laughs> Shout out to the people who made the boxes with the fake wheels for the six-year-olds. Shout out to them as well. Yeah, because y'all are contributing to yeah, a big better time. world. You're making my big day time. better. You're making Savina's day better. Thank you. Hundred percent. What was the Liberian night? No, no, no. You go. Oh, you no. go first. I want to go back to another point. Oh, you go I back wanna... to another point. I wanted. To... Oh, you went to the Liberian. Which one did you first? We did Liberian, or do you want to go back to the other point? I wanted to ask what you wanted to go back to university for. Right. 
I think I want to go back and study like war studies. Ooh, okay. Yeah, because I think I'm just interested in. I never want to fight. Um, please, please don't <laughs> come and invade the United Kingdom, please. I don't want to fight. I like peace. I don't like war. I'm a pacifist, please. I like life. Can you get all the emails? One v one. I don't want it. I, but I think I would like to study like. I think I've always been interested in like war and foreign policy mm. and intelligence and how different countries interact with each other and how relationships have changed over the last 50 to 100 years. It's, it's just random, but I'd, I'd go back more as a passion project mm. as opposed to like going back to do something businessy because I dropped out already. I did international business and um, I felt like because I was running, I'd started community at the same time. I didn't feel like what I was being taught was practical. So, like, how do you file your taxes? What are the different kinds of taxes? There's corporation tax. There's VAT. Um, and I wasn't getting taught that. I was getting taught stuff that was very theoretical. And in my head, I was like, no, I need real help. I need cash to run this business. <laughs> <laughs> Not theoretical help. Um, but, yeah, probably war studies or sociology. Mm. Um, something like that. But... On war. Yeah. This is not... A, I don't know <laughs> why we're laughing. A, I, don't, I know. Why are we laughing? War. I know. <laughs> war. <laughs> we need to be serious. <laughs> war. <laughs> okay. War. So on war. Yes. Uh, Identity 2.0 have actually recently been working with a coalition called Stop Killer Robots. And they right. are all about... Um, Ending or at least limiting the use of autonomous weapons. I'm um, drones, yeah. Um, and they're like wow. weapon systems which can operate without any human intervention. Yes. It's like humans out of the loop. Yes. Um, and that, you know, uses really scary technology like facial recognition, which, you know, you could one day have a drone and you program it to say, oh, um, please attack all of the Arab men aged 30 to oh, 35 wow. in this area and go forth. And then, you know, that technology is already so flawed currently already. And so the knock-on consequences of that is like technology Ooh. automated at its most lethal. Yes. So we did a talk for them about this concept of digital dehumanization um, in February, which was brilliant. But yeah, that group, when you're thinking about war, autonomous weapons has the possibility of accelerating war because you're not having to mobilize armies, you're just mobilizing drones. And so the rate at which war is negotiated and, and war is seen as an option mm -hmm. is suddenly so much easier because you've got robot versus robot. A hundred percent. I mean, even in uh, the Ukraine-Russia war, mm. um, I'm, on, I'm on Reddit because, like I said, I like to look at what's going on in the world. Um, and I've always said if anything happens in the UK, I'm going to the Scottish Highlands. So I like to keep track of what's going on. Um, but you can see, like, a huge use of drones like the drones will find mm. troops and then they're i think they're like they they explode on contacts so mm. they'll find a trench and then they just go down and explode yeah. and that does not take any like you said kind of physical confrontation between human beings mm. um it's a scary world it is that we live in i think there are lots of people ourselves included yeah. we're just genuinely just trying to make it a bit better and trying to combat 100%. this and yeah just shout out to Stop Killer Robots because they're doing really good work trying to end that a big shout out to Stop Killer Robots I, I, I don't even want war anyway so um, human beings if we could stop fighting that would be great yeah just chill yeah you know yeah I don't think humans I don't think we have the capacity to not fight but I think that's like a philosophical conversation because I think you think conflict is inevitable. Yes, because I I do I do not think that human beings have the capacity to live in peace for extended periods of time. Mm. Um, and that's just based off my understanding of his, based on what I see mm. historically. But I actually don't. I think we can have like relative moments. Mm. Um, but can we as human beings put our pride and ego aside and not fight? I don't think so. Not in the current economic structure of the world no. for sure we have whole flipping no. defense industries and like you said drones and nuclear weapons like yeah. we profit off it yeah and and we fight we find new ways to fight yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah literally yeah. say how do we fight smart exactly. 
How can I make killing uh, more effective, more, more efficient? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just a wild concept and a wild use of a like res- resources. It is like how much yeah. money is sunk into that very question blows my mind. Yes, yeah. Again, yeah. if we put our kind of pride and ego aside and we didn't fight, I think, and money was allocated to the right places, the world would be way way better the world would dramatically change it would dramatically yeah. change it's also like that concept if if uh women woke up tomorrow and all of us collectively decided that uh we no longer bought into western beauty standards and we didn't need to wear makeup anymore wow how many industries would collapse that's a very good point yeah wow <laughs> sorry no, I'm just thinking about the I'm thinking about the numbers. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All the hair shops would. Yeah, you wouldn't have had a business. No, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have sold weave. You I wouldn't would, have yeah. sold hair extensions. Exactly. Yeah, I'd have had to. I mean, I'm selling stuff on eBay like Blackberries and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'd probably just have to focus on that, and not the hair stuff. Not the hair stuff. Not the hair stuff. Yeah. Um, what was your librarian idea? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so my first job was I used to work for um, a kids media startup called Bright Little Labs. Right. So we made children's stories which taught kids 21st century skills and their most... Oh, the, that's wavy. The, yeah, the biggest story we told was about um, Agent Asher, who was a top secret spy for the okay. children's spy agency. Okay. Um, and Shout she, out to Agent Asher. Yeah, man. Um, and she... What, A-S-H-A? Uh, yeah. That is sick. Yeah. That is sick. So... Um, yeah, her top secret story was like her being part of the spy agency and children, for example, would like read the book, which was her story um, and learn things about like the farting selfie stick. But they would learn right. like what kind of um, what like a conditional statement was because it was like if this person, oh, then this. Wow. So it was like like disguising education through entertainment teaching them if statements yeah 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 wow. we used to run workshops i used to like run them and like do stuff like that as well so i've still got like in my part of my brain weird little stories that i come up with every now and then that is wavy it was real fun did it for three years yeah that is wavy shout out to you thank you yeah you're really like pushing Trying. The boundaries in terms of as in I didn't write it. World. That was Sophie Dean. But okay, I worked there you whilst were there. they were developing it, and we were like three people when I started. So okay, it was small. So you you contributed. Yeah. Shout out yeah. to you, Sophie. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. I wanted to ask, um, what what do you think organisations could do to improve the digital rights of users? Or of human beings. And the reason I ask that is because um, when it comes to quite a few problems in the world, I feel like we tend to individualize them. So, like when it comes to a greener world or climate change, we say, oh, eat less meat or recycle. But it's businesses and governments that need to take action. Like if they don't take action, we're pissed. Um, so, rather than saying, what can we do? Because I, I, I think you published a toolkit. If I'm correct. We did, yeah. Yes. Um, so do you want to talk about the toolkit, but also say what you feel organisations should be doing um, to, I guess, improve the digital rights of us humans? Yeah. So the there's a data toolkit that we produced on the our website. Data toolkit, that's it. And we produced that after our first exhibition, which was like a one night pop up. Um, in Soho House and a bunch of people were like oh what do I do um, right. how can I protect myself and so it was very much born out of that kind of conversation we were having and we realised you know there is a bunch of alternative tools we have online we don't have to use Google we don't have to use WhatsApp yeah. like we don't have to use Gmail necessarily so here's like just some recommendations of other things you can use mm. um, you can find that on our website but you know as much as it is nice to recommend these alternative tools, and I do think they have a really important place in the tech ecosystem because, you know, they prioritize encryption, they prioritize kind of not hoarding data and vacuuming it all up. Yeah. Um, it has to come from a bottom up, so that's users demanding it, but it also needs to come from top down. So it needs to be come from businesses and governments right. demanding change as well. So policy definitely plays a role in this, and we need regulatory, regulatory powers to be a lot more enforcement i think it was literally today 
the ICO have come out and fined TikTok like 12 million pounds. No way. Yeah, over data privacy breach, which is huge. Like the ICO, shout out to ICO, you are slow sometimes, but you are making moves. <laughs> like, they make it, yeah. Like this needs to be happening. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like they, they should be fine because it's like vacuuming all our data. Um, so we definitely need more regulation in place. And then when it comes to businesses, I think it's really one from a marketing perspective. It's really weighing up like what marketing channels am I using, right. and what what impact is this having on my users? So, for example, at Identity Point we have actively decided to never use paid on um, Meta products or Google ads. Wow! And you know, we probably could have used that power at some point for our yeah. exhibitions, but this for us is a fundamental decision because. We do not want to be giving our money away to companies which we actively disagree with, which are have essentially created the internet in a way that it, it's inescapable that we have to give away all of our information, mm -hmm. that we have no real informed consent. There's a lack of transparency, there's a lack of accountability, yes. and we don't believe in that. And so I'm not telling everyone to turn off any paid ads they have. I'm just saying can really consider what options you do have and if that investment is worth like essentially the violation of your users rights um so that comes down to marketing channels mm. and then on a wider sense you know it, it, again it's weighing up what tools you're using like if i'm using mailchimp what information is that collecting from my users is there an alternative is right. there other internal kind of uses of tools that we can consider um like for one example of this is um you know if you're if you are a marketing company or an agency and for example you have to ask someone's consent to record them because you're doing a video series mm -hmm. or or um you're taking photographs of them what does your consent form look like like how much right. choice are they actually given in that how long are you saying you'll store their information for do you give them time to read over it is right. it really dense language that you're asking them to kind of sign up for is it five pages long and you give them five minutes to read like you know right what that should be part of your process of this and so that then think about how that applies to your digital spaces as well when you're asking people to sign up and give away their email for something you know what precautions are you putting in place to really save that and do you always need that um where is that then going so i just uh, all i think it needs is really just putting more steps in place mm -hmm. to you, you know make sure that this is a considered effort like we're doing a lot more now to consider mm -hmm. our environmental impact and i think we can do more to think about how our digital presence plays into digital rights like what's the rights impact here right yeah hmm that's a great answer oh thank you yeah <laughs> um i got i got like i think i got like two follow-on questions um you can ask him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what was I gonna say? Um, do you think this is more? This is maybe like a philosophical question. Do you think that there is the possibility of a time where we have better digital rights, or our data is used more ethically, or do you think that? we've gone too far because yeah. i personally think capitalism has gone too far but i'm a pessimist and i wanted to know your thoughts as someone that probably has way more skin in the game than me you've got skin in the game we all have skin we all have skin in the game because we all exist online so it that's matters to all of point. us um that's a very good point capitalism has gone too far like it, it is it's gone too far but yeah. i don't think it's gone i don't think it's gone far enough to not pull it back right I, I do think like government regulation is like a huge lever we need to be pulling on to be able to get us to a place that is safer online. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I, yeah, I still think there's time to change things and to actually make good public digital spaces for us mm. all. Um, it just requires a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah. and intentionality. Yeah, 100%. And uh, yeah, like, like you were saying, um, kind of a letting go of the ego and the pride. Yeah. Yeah. I really wish we could do that. Because I think we can. I think we 
I think we can. I think we're on the cusp of something. You think so? I think the cop. I don't know if this is a later question. No, no, no. Go on. <laughs> you say what you're going to say. I think the conversations around AI in the past three months oh have been okay, so it? immense. So, yeah, I think we're on the cusp of something. Did you... Oh, my gosh. You should have... Okay. Did you hear about the open letter? Yep. What do you think about it? <laughs> uh, it's just... I'm not surprised by it. Right. Um... Uh, we should we should give the listeners a bit of context, shouldn't we? Yeah, go for it. So if I'm correct, there was an open letter signed by, I think, including Elon Musk and industry leaders yeah. telling the AI industry to stop the development of AI technology that was more advanced than chat GPT-4. Am I correct? Yeah, in, in essence, they were in talking essence, about gossip. like future harms and how that's going to affect people and talking about um artificial general intelligence which mm -hmm. is that idea that you know ai will assume the intelligence of a human and be able to converse that way yeah um there's been people who've been working on tech ethics and trying to change the technology industry for years mm -hmm. and there are amazing researchers out there um like ruha benjamin who wrote Tech, race after technology right it's a brilliant book tim nitger do like there's amazing people none of them were included on that letter none of their thoughts were included right in they were just completely omitted out of the conversation and so it just becomes tiresome when these kind of conversations are co-opted by those who are already in the power who have already built all the tools which are causing harm and then they're turning around and saying oh no no maybe that's not a good idea that's yeah. that's one piece that's annoying and the second piece that mm. I think is, it, it really fails to recognize the harms that AI is already having. Mm -hmm. like AI systems have already caused immense harms. And it doesn't really touch upon that. It touches upon like this wild future of, oh no, in the fantasy when realm. We get there, yeah. When we get there, it's going to be so dangerous. We need to stop now. It's like, well, we need to look at what we've already done. Mm. Like six months. I don't really understand what you think you're going to achieve in six months. Like, I know I'm here tooting for regulatory yeah. power, but it's slow. This process takes a long time. I've got three speed questions Let's to go. ask you, Savina, because... Um, we're a speedy podcast. We're a speedy podcast um, and we need to wrap up. Um, so following on from the AI chat or the AI stuff that we've just talked about, um, what impact do you think artificial intelligence will have on storytelling um for me the most exciting storytelling is um people driven it's human centered mm -hmm. okay and so i would never i would only ever want to use tools which can, which can enhance that and not right. detract from that mm -hmm. and i think a lot of the generative ai tools that we're seeing at the moment kind of pushes us into um a very conformist very unilateral route right. that doesn't really give space for any creative freedom and a lot of the generative ai that we've seen at the moment also steals from a lot of creativity like it is, there's, there's no credit there it's reinforcing current like biases that you're seeing in society as well yes like you only need to go to mid journey and type in like ceo and it's like old white men yeah like it's not it's not anything new it's not it's not producing anything and i don't think it complements human creativity yet so the stories that i want to tell and i'm interested in which are human centered i don't think ai is a good enough companion to help bolster them in any right. way i think there are singular tools like mm. transcription services right. subtitling like very basic singular accessible. tools which yeah. are very helpful but that's for me where they should remain it should Got be it. an assistant it shouldn't be something that replaces thing. creativity can't it can't fundamentally it can't. no it can't i mean yeah it can't 100 yeah. it's drawing on data. it only looks back it can't look forward 100 percent, and it doesn't understand context no no you're right um <laughs> no you're right <laughs> you're right <laughs> my second speed question oh i've got more than three how do we <laughs> best maximize empathy and impact with storytelling because um I, I figured that's something that you'd be very experienced at with your experience that unfold stories 
and as a marketer. And I think even at Kimizi, we're thinking about how we design or create outputs um, that I guess invoke empathy or shared understanding of an issue or topic or service. So I think there's maybe two two kind of answers to this. I think yeah. the first one is um, Ajo Ways, who's my co-founder at Identity 2.0, always says to design, when we're designing experiences for Identity 2.0, we're always thinking about what we want the person to feel at certain points. Right. So what is it that is going to allow them to feel that certain emotion? You know, what's right. provoking it? Is it a series of questions? Is it an audio experience? Is it... You know, is it a physical piece? And so even mm -hmm. if it's a zine they're reading, like what order do things go in that allows people to go on that emotional journey? Mm. Um, and then I think the second part of that question is really that I think it goes back to that very human centered kind of approach yep. and really prioritizing, okay, if I'm telling a story, where is the story coming from? You know, what, what authority do I have to tell it? And then, you know, who do right. I pass the mic to in order to get this heard the best because my voice isn't necessarily the best one to tell it all the mm -hmm. time um and then how do i best represent them and make sure that they are part of the process in which we tell it makes sense yeah. that was a phenomenal answer <laughs> for the time that we yeah, have thank you. um oh with the way that i guess technology is going and with the I guess with the popularization of short form content what do you think is going to happen to like long form content such as books and films because I was having a conversation about this with someone um, and their opinion which I respect highly was that I don't even know if I should be saying this, I might get to cut up, but was that the book industry is going for a really good high right now, but as people become less interested in, this is my assumption, in long form content, they'll stop buying stuff like books because it takes time to consume as opposed to something like a TikTok video. What are your thoughts? I think that cultural forms like books have always been challenged like when tv came around people right. were like ah well people only want to watch an hour episode anymore why are people going to sit around reading a book or mm. like it, when books were first published as well people were like yeah but people read the stories in the newspaper like they only come right. out once a week why would they then read a big book or like when you can read a short thing in a newspaper mm -hmm. and so i think cultural forms are constantly changing i don't i personally don't think they're going anywhere right i just think our attitudes towards them are evolving um, I definitely think books and movies have such big cultural importance in our society. Mm -hmm. I think what's changing is the funding models that go towards them. Right. So like funding towards movies, which aren't series or franchises, is like bleak. Right. Movie like books are now being approached and thinking about, well, could that turn into a franchise? Could that form? be formed into another media form in an animation or a film or a TV series? Mm. Does it have that potential to do that? Or does the person writing it have a certain influential digital presence which could help bolster the the book sales right and so i think that way the industry is changing and so then therefore the the kind of creative outputs are changing mm -hmm. so the types of books and the type of films we are seeing is changing but i don't think the form itself is going anywhere i have a lot i could say about attention because <laughs> yeah. i find, like genuinely like good and bad attention i don't think it's such a binary i think it's a spectrum right um which I can talk about another time. Okay. <laughs> um, so essentially you're saying that with long form content, there's probably going to be more focus on, um, what's the right word, continuity, essentially, as opposed to maybe like having... expanded universes. We've right. seen a lot of interest in that from like the rise of Marvel and things yes, like that. DC, I think yeah. now people are looking for something a bit different. I don't think the forms itself are going anywhere. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. I feel stupid to answer asking that question. Hey. You just answered it so oh eloquently. Like you just, wow. Um, my last question, <laughs> my last speedy question is, um, what do you think are the most important stories that need to be amplified this year? And they can be stories that maybe, or things that we're not talking about, or things that are already in conversation that we need to talk about further. So I think the first one, which I'm already seeing like a big rise of in 2023, mm -hmm. is definitely like the power of the collective. Right. Like 
the number of strikes that have happened in the UK is yes. amazing. The power of unions, the power of collective action is so powerful. Yeah. Um, and it's I definitely concentrated. Yeah, and yeah. it's incredible. And mm -hmm. you know, big up all the nurses, big up all the drivers. Like I think that's such a powerful story to tell and being able right. to galvanize that in a way and being able to show people we do have power because I feel like a lot of times we have just complete resignation that we can do anything. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is a really important story that is being told. And I just want to make sure that, you know, it, it has a continued legacy of being proven that, you know, this this is work. Mm -hmm. This is working for us. Well, how else can we galvanize this sort of power? Right. Um, and then the second, well, I mean, there's so many stories, obviously. But I think one that I'm seeing time and time again is like... Um, the attack on trans people right. and people from marginalized sexualities mm -hmm. just being pushed to the sideline constantly and yes. being pushed. I think it's definitely a, a, an American narrative that's been transferred over to the UK, even though the UK has some nasty turfs, really yeah. gross, gross nuts. Yeah. Really don't like it. Um, mm. But like the amplification of kind of their voices and their stories in order to, as you were talking about before, like, using storytelling as like an empathetic tool yes you know in order yes. to not win over but like you know in order to actually combat effectively the wave of hate that's happening and it's sad the burden is being put onto the very people who are you know facing yeah, the oppression to speak out yeah very exactly true. and so you know it is kind of up to all of us to be able to amplify their stories in mm. ways that make sure that you know they don't get lost to the wave of hate that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, Thank you so much. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have learnt so much, and I I've learnt so much. Yes, this has been a this has been a great one. This has been yeah. good. <laughs> Lots yeah. of fun. Um, Savina, I'd like to say a massive thank you for for jumping on the Kimizi podcast. Um, and I personally think we should have a part two of this conversation because I had to ask quite a few of my questions are speedy <laughs> questions. <laughs> but I guess we got it all out. Um, if this is on YouTube, like, subscribe, subscribe. <laughs> comment, <laughs> and have a lovely day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.